Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. We, we are going to hit a little different rhythm today. Uh, if you've been around Wildwood, you know that typically we begin our services with a time of singing, um, and then we, we spend some time looking into God's Word. And, and today we're going to run things a little differently because we wanted to begin by bringing the baptisms forward into our service today. Uh, we're going to just move on now into our study of the Word of God, but, but rest assured, we will end our time today by singing a couple of songs together. But as we gather today, we're going to be continuing a series we started last Sunday on Romans chapters 7 and 8, a series that we call Spiritual Life, Navigating Life in the Spirit's Power. Now, this is an important series because at the beginning parts of the book of Romans, it talks about how someone is connected to God through the work of Christ and how we are justified or redeemed or forgiven so that we can have a relationship with God that goes on forever. But as we continue to live out our lives, we realize that there is more to the Christian life than just its beginning. There is a, a time and a process where we are trusting God day by day and moment by moment. What does that look like? We began this series in Romans 7 and 8 last week examining what the spiritual life, the Christian life, what does it really look like? And how is it different than any other kind of life? That we might live. So we began last week by looking at the first few verses of chapter 7, and we're going to continue today by completing chapter 7 together. But before we, we look at chapter 7, verses 7 through 25, I want to just reflect with you a little bit uh, about life. And I want to ask you this question. What happens in your world when the old meets the new? What happens in your world when the old meets the new? Let me give you some scenarios. What happens when you buy a new house or a new apartment and you try to move your old furniture in there? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? What happens when the old furniture hits the new apartment or the new house? Sometimes we want to buy new furniture. Sometimes things just don't quite fit. What, what happens when you have a few new pounds and they meet your old clothing? Uh, what, what happens in your life when those things happen? Uh, what, what happens in your life um, when a new expense meets your old budget? Something new springs up, a, a new dependent in your house. You're caring for an elderly parent or you have a new child or you have a medical condition that has expensive medication. You have a new expense, but you still have the old budget. What happens when you have those things? Well, I'll tell you what happens. If your life is like mine, there, there's... There's tension that comes when the old meets the new. Let me ask you another question. What happens when your new life in Christ meets your old environment of your life? What happens when you, you trust in Christ and, and you have this new relationship with him and God says that you're forgiven and God says that you're set free from the necessary rule of sin in your life? and he places his spirit inside of you, but you go to live out that new life, and you're living it out in this old address of your flesh. And you're living this new life in Christ out in this old address of your environment with your old friendships and your relationships. What happens 
when the old meets the new in your life. Physically and spiritually, tension occurs. And, and you felt that tension, no doubt, as we have been studying the book of Romans at Wildwood all this past school year. Because as we've looked at uh, the book of Romans, we've seen these things that we are set free from sin and these, these triumphal statements that we are now able to walk in the newness of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. And there's this new hope, this new life, this new identity, this new man. We've been promised all of these things in the book of Romans, but as we have gone through this study, did any of you ever want to raise your hand and go, wait a second, wait a second, all this triumphal talk, am I the only person in the room who is struggling? Am I the only person in the room who is still tempted to sin? Am I the only person in the room who is somewhat less perfect than the declarations of identity that we have seen earlier in the book? Has anybody here felt that way as we've, we've read through the book of Romans together? You ever feel that way around a group of Christians? You're like, wait a second, am I the only one here that this is hard for? Well, if you felt that way over the last few weeks, I'm so glad that you're here today. Because what we see in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25, is we see the Apostle Paul raise his hand and say, I have struggled like that too. And in that admission, we look around and we realize that we're in a room full of people that still have a struggle with sin. How do we live out the new life that we have in Christ in this old address? That's the subject of, of Romans chapter 7. So let's read it, see what God has to tell us through the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read these verses because it's helpful for us to see them all together first, and then we'll go back and unpack them in part. Paul writes and says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now in those verses, we're going to see three things today, three examples of the old meeting the new that let us know how we can understand the struggle that we have in our spiritual life. The first thing that we're going to see is this. We're going to see the deficiencies of the old law to produce a new heart. The deficiencies of the old law to produce a new heart. Basically, what Paul is going to say in the first six verses of this section is that there are limitations to God's law. God gave his law. It was holy and right and good. It is holy and right and good, but it has its limitations. It has the ability to reveal truth to us. It has the ability to reveal God's holiness to us, but it has no ability to empower us to do it. There are deficiencies in the old law producing a new heart. Now, he really gets into this anchored back to what he said in chapter 7 and verse 5. Paul's made similar statements to this throughout the the gospel or throughout the the, the book of Romans. But here in verse 5, this is what he says. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. The, the question that, that probably pops into someone's mind when they read that is that, is the law then the root of our sin? Is the law there merely to lead us to death? What is the purpose for the law? Well, Paul's going to emphatically say that the law is good. It just is deficient to do all of what we need done. That's his argument beginning in verse 7. And in verse 7, he says this. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. What he's saying there is that the law is somewhat like an x-ray machine. Now, I don't know uh, about you, but uh, if you've ever broken a bone, uh, the break happens on the interior of your body. Most of the time, it stays that way, right? Uh, In some really awful situations, you can tell it on the outside. But many times, a break in a bone occurs on the inside. And when the break of the bone occurs on the inside, you go to a hospital and you get an x-ray to determine what is wrong with that bone. I have a friend, uh, Courtney Bracken, he's one of our elders here, and he recently broke his collarbone. And he sent me a picture uh, of the x-ray that was taken of his collarbone that showed it broken into several pieces. And I remember when I saw that picture, I did not go, what is wrong with that machine? I didn't say that. I said, what is wrong with that bone? It's not supposed to be doing that. The x-ray merely revealed what was a reality on the inside. Paul's point about the law of God is that the law is not bad. 
The law merely is like an x-ray to our soul revealing a problem that is on the inside of us. Paul specifically uses this issue of covetousness here. Uh, Thou shalt not covet. Does anybody know where that comes from? It comes from the Old Testament law. It was one of the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Paul uses that, I think, because coveting is something that happens on the interior of our lives. Certainly the root of all sins happens on the inside before it ever shows up on the outside. Jesus was quite clear about that. But coveting happens certainly on the inside. You know, you think of something like murder. You know when murder has occurred because someone dies. You know when theft has occurred because something is missing. But how do you know when coveting occurs? The law of God, like an x-ray to our soul, reveals God's holy standard to our thoughts and attitudes, not just to our actions on the outside. And it reveals to us that there's a problem on the inside of us. It's not the law's fault. There's something broken inside of you and inside of me. That's his point in verse 7. He says in verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now, what, what is this language? He's going to use a couple of times this word opportunity here, and he's going to say that this sin seizes this opportunity. The word opportunity in the original language was used of military fortifications. It's like a foxhole. Paul's picture is is this. On the interior of our lives, sin has a foxhole. And when God's law comes in, it jumps out and starts to attack. That's part of what's inside of you and me, friends. It's part of what was inside the Apostle Paul. Our primary issue is not that the law leads us to sin. Our primary issue is that there is something on the interior of our lives that is rebelling against God, leading us to to, to sin. It's interesting here that he, he says that it sees this opportunity and produced in him all kinds of covetousness. This is something that we know that is true about laws. Laws inspire us to go just past them. If the speed limit is 55, how fast do you drive? 80. Wow. Okay, I'm not going to say who said that. I'm not going to do it. It's a safe zone here, friends. Um, more than 55, probably, right? Why do you do that? Why do you go just beyond that? I think part of it is there's part of, there's part of you and me that's driving down the road and going, you know what? Any other person needs to go 55. I can handle it. There's part of us that's driving down the road that says, you know what, that darn city engineer, there's no way that it's just 35 is the safe speed limit out there on Robinson near the church. I can go 45. There's part of the law that when it comes to us, sin rears up out of the foxhole in our pride and in the sinful part of us and says, absolutely not. I'm going to do it my way. And it's not just true of traffic laws, it's true of God's law. When God's law comes to us, it's holy, it's righteous, it's good, but sin in that foxhole rears up and starts to attack. Friends, our problem is is not the law. Our problem is on the inside. 
the law is, is holy and righteous and good, just deficient to, to transform our hearts and our lives. He goes on in verse 9, he says, I, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Now, what does that sound like to you? It may sound like some things that we've experienced before, but you know what else it sounds like? It sounds to me like the Garden of Eden. You see, in the, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were living there. And God comes to them and he gives them a commandment. He gave them a law. And he said, do not eat from which tree? Don't say the apple tree. They get a bad rap. He says, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, that tree don't eat from. But, but after that commandment is given, what did they do? They ate it. They stepped out. They disobeyed God and they ate from that fruit. And that led to consequences. It led to death. It led to separation from God. It led to shame from each other and removal from the garden. A cataclysmic set of events followed. And you know what? The, the, the same thing in, in a different way has played out in our lives where we have seen God's holy and righteous law that is good and we have violated it because something on the inside of us has reared up and rebelled against the word of God, which is good, and led us to an activity that is wrong that ultimately has consequences of death. You see, the law, it's not the law's fault. There's something inside of us that is fighting from the inside out. He goes on in verse 12, he says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Again, he's just reiterating the same point. The law of God is, is good. The law of God is holy and righteous. But you know how sinful sin is? Sin can take something as holy and righteous and good as God's law and turn it into a weapon to condemn us and to slay us. That's how sinful sin is. Sin takes the good things of God and twists it and turns it into a curse instead of a blessing. And all of this is happening on the interior of our lives. See, if we thought that our, our problem was the law, uh, we're mistaken. You know, sometimes we, we might think, and you may have thought this before, uh, maybe not, but, but uh, if you haven't, maybe you'll think about it now. Why is it, why is it that God didn't just change the standards? Why didn't God just, just lower the bar a little bit for us? Why didn't God just say, you know what, if I make the standard there, it's going to be too high, and then I'll have to send my son to die for them. What if God would have just said, you know what, I'll, I'll make the standard a little lower, then they can accomplish it. What's the problem with that theory? Well, one problem is that God's holy, and he doesn't adjust his standard. 
But the second problem is this. No matter where God set the line, we'd violate it. Because inside of us is a foxhole on the interior of our lives where sin is rebelling against the commandments of God. No matter where that line is, no matter what that commandment is. Paul writes here to let us know about the struggle that we're in. And he lets us know that this struggle is on the inside, not just on the outside. It's prompted by sin in us, not by the Word of God. There are deficiencies in the old law to produce a new heart, but the old law is still good. But what else do we see in this passage? The second thing we see is this. We see the difficulties of a new life that is lived out in an old address. We see the difficulties of a new life that is lived out at an old address. Paul's going to to take us into the place and show us what the problem is. Of the foxhole on the interior of our life that is rebelling against God, what does the Bible call that? He gives us that definition in verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Paul says, God's word is good, it's righteous, it's holy, it's spiritual. But I've got this problem in that there is something in me that that Paul calls the flesh. And this is more than just a physical flesh like skin on our body. And it's more than even just our physical parts of us. But it's a theological term that is used to describe all that is within us that rebels against God. And from the moment that we place our faith and our trust in Christ, God sets us free from sin's necessary rule. We don't have to sin anymore. He sets us free from sin's ultimate consequence. We will not be uh, judged in eternal separation from God. That was taken care of in Christ. There are some things that have happened that have made us a new man that he called in Romans chapter 6. But that new man, that new woman, that new life that we have is lived out in the old address of our flesh. And the conflict of that new meeting the old causes us to have this tension in our spiritual lives. Why are we not just living this triumphal life of freedom? Why is it that sin is still attractive to us? I've got news, friends. It's not because of something out there. It's because of something that is still in here. There's a foxhole on the interior of our heart where sin is crouching in our flesh, waging war against God. He describes this battle as something, he says, that we are are sold under sin. I think a good way to to think of that and understand that is to think that our, our flesh sells us out. Our flesh sells us out. God's word is good, it's righteous, God's, God's way is pure. The direction that he points us in is, is, the, is the way to go, and, and our flesh sells us out to a cheap substitute all the time. What does that look like? Verse 15 and 16 tell us. Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions. I, I think it's fascinating that the apostle Paul is marveling at his actions, not in a good way, in a bad one. You ever done this with your life? I can't believe I just did. He says, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. 
What Paul is saying is there's a, there's a tension and there's, there's a battle in his life. There are bad things that he knows he's not supposed to do, but he does them anyway. The fact that he knows that they're, they're bad and, and, and there's, there's a part of him that doesn't want to do it is a reminder that the law is good. He's agreeing with the law. There's no problem with the law. He says, yeah, God, you're right. I'm not supposed to do that. But guess what? I did it anyway. Can you relate to that? The Apostle Paul can. I can. There are things in life that we know we are not to do, but we do them anyway. Why? Not just because of something on the outside, but because of something on the inside. There's a foxhole on the interior of our life where sin is waging war from our flesh. It's interesting to think about that that, that challenge and that, that difficulty. It's as old as Christians are. Christians are unique in this. And that God is 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 given us a new heart and a new life and a new interest, but we're unable to live it out. I think it's interesting that verse 15 reminds us that it's not just about education. Sometimes we think that education is the answer for everything. And and guess what? Education is important. I, I wouldn't wouldn't argue that. We need to learn God's word. We need to read it. We need to study it. Absolutely we need to do those things. That's how God illuminates our heart and our lives. But but, but guess what, friends? It's not just knowing what to do, is it? There are things that we know are wrong, and we do them anyway. Why do we do that? Because on the interior of our heart, there's a problem on the inside. And it's a problem that we all share. It's not just doing the things we know we're not supposed to do. Verses 19 and 20 tell us that it's on the positive side too. He says, for I, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Here's the, the general idea of, of what he's saying. You know, the Christian life and, and sin, it's not just about not uh, smoking this or sleeping with, with them or whatever. It's not just about those don'ts that we think about, but sin also has sins of omission, things that God has prompted us to do that we don't do, loving our neighbor as ourself. Have you ever been prompted by the Spirit of God to, to demonstrate love and care or concern for somebody else and you didn't do it? Why didn't you do it? You knew you, God was prompting you there. Why didn't you do it? Because on the interior of your heart, there's a foxhole where sin is waging war from our flesh. Paul describes the situation here, and, he, and, he, and he's going to give a little more a descriptive description to it in verses 17 and 18. He says, so, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. What's the deficiency of the law? It shows us the direction, but it doesn't empower us to live it out. We could have memorized the entire Bible and still not be able to do it. Why is that? Because of what's happening on the inside of us. We're living a new life at an old address. Now, a couple, of, a couple of things I want to point out just by application on this that I think are important for us to remember. One thing is we need to remember that our fight against sin is not just external. Now, it, it, it certainly involves the external. But our fight against sin should not be merely external. I'll give you an example. Let's say that your struggle is with internet pornography. 
If you have a struggle with internet pornography, then you should take external steps to, to get away from that. Whether it's filters on your computer or no internet in your house or uh, accountability groups, you should absolutely take steps in the exterior of your life to make it harder to engage in the activity that you know is wrong. That is absolutely appropriate. Uh, this is similar to when Jesus said, if your eyeball causes you to sin, pluck it out. I don't think he's, he's saying literally that you would pluck your eyes out because you still have another one and you still have a mind and all of those other problems. I think what he was saying is take radical external action to avoid sin in your life. I think that that was the general idea of what Christ was getting to when he said that. So it's appropriate for us to take some external action. But what Romans 7 lets us know is that it's not just an external fight. If all you have is a filter or a cutoff internet connection, or you don't have a, a laptop, you only have a desktop, or you don't carry a smartphone, you only carry a dumb phone, if it's only in those externals, if it's only in those externals, then, then you're missing out on what God tells us in Romans 7, that the problem is not just out there, there's a problem in here. We need a transformation. We need a dependence. We need a deliverance. And the beautiful thing about what God has done is that he provides that. If you're here today and you find yourself caught in this and you're like, yeah, that's true, I'm struggling, there's things I wanna do that I don't do and I'm doing the stuff I don't wanna do and I can relate to this and I, this, is, this is making me, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat happy to know that God is aware of this condition, but I'm at the same time frustrated because I'm still in this condition, how do I get out of it? The passage continues. Not only do we see the deficiencies of the old law to produce a new heart, not only do we see the difficulties of this new life at an old address, but we also see the deliverance of the new person by an old friend. See the deliverance of the new person by an old friend. Verse 21 restates the problem. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That's what he's been saying. But verse 22 is really interesting. He says, for I delight in the law of God and my inner being. Now, friends, that is a description that applies only to a believer in Jesus Christ. It is only to one who has a cleansed heart, a new heart, a heart of flesh, like Ezekiel 36 would say. It's only to the one who God has written his commandments on their heart, like Jeremiah 31 says of those of us who live in this new covenant relationship with God through Christ. It is only of us who have had that kind of a transformation that this is a reality that God's law is a delight to us. We have a new life. We are a new person. It's important for us to see that because it helps us to make sense of this whole passage. Some have looked at this through history and have said, Paul certainly must be talking about someone who is not a Christian in Romans chapter 7 because they just don't know how it fits quite with Romans chapter 6. But, but here, here's, here's the thing. Look at how many times the word I or me appears in Romans chapter 7. Friends, it is all over the place. Where else do we find that in the book of Romans? Very seldom does Paul do that. I, me, I, me, I, me. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his experience as a redeemed person struggling to live this new life at this old address. He goes on 
in verse 23, he talks about 22, about the being delighting in the law of God. But 23 says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Again, he is talking about the same struggle. The struggle that he has is a struggle that you have is a struggle that I have. A struggle on the inside. He, he concludes this in 24 by saying, wretched man that I am. What does it mean to be a wretch? We, we sing that. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sing those words. What does it mean to be a wretch? In the original language, a wretch was a, a term used of a soldier who returns completely exhausted from battle. What Paul is saying is, if I try to live out God's law in my own strength, in my own power, I will end up completely exhausted. What is the hope for someone if it's not through our effort? The beautiful thing, friends, is it's not through, it's not through a what. It's through a who. Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what's the answer? Let's read it together, right after the question mark. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What's our hope? Our hope in the midst of this struggle is not in another plan. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, how does Jesus deliver us from this body of death? You got to come back next week. And we'll look at it in Romans chapter 8. But here's the beautiful thing, friends. The beautiful thing that we need to remember and know is that in the midst of this struggle, God has offered us the help that we need. And it's found in the person of Christ, our old friend who not only died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have an eternity secured, but that same Jesus is committed to us. Paul says in the book of Philippians, I'm convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is committed to us so that when we are in the midst of this struggle, rather than looking only to ourselves and our resources and try to get out of it on our own, that's impossible because the enemy is on the inside. We need someone on the outside to deliver us and pull us out, and Jesus Christ has promised to do just that. If you're here today and you're in the midst of the throes of temptation and sin and you wonder where the hope is, the hope is found in Christ. And friends, we can call upon him today and ask for his deliverance. And we can look at Romans 8 and see how he's going to do it. And that's where we're going to be next week. And if you're here today and you're in the confines of sin and you don't know Christ and you feel enslaved to do that which you do not want. Know that the same offer that Christ gives to those who have already been saved to deliver us, Christ offers to not only deliver you today, but he offers to give you an eternity today. And that begins by us merely calling out to him. So let's do that. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word and for your truth and for this wonderful section of Romans 7 that is so real and shows us our needs. And, and uh, Father, thank you that that uh, in the midst of our struggle that is real, that your, your hope is real. And it comes not in another thing for us to do, but it comes in a person that we are to believe in who can deliver us 
from this body of death. Father, oh, that we would be a people who would experience your life, your abundant life, a life that is delivered from the twisting of sin and the consequence of sin, that you would give each of us faith today to call out to Jesus and say to him, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who has never left us alone, not even once. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.